Hello and welcome to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here today with my wife, Natasha Mason. Hi. Over here on my side. She is audible today, which is nice. Uh, So we're trying to get all that worked out. Uh, This is episode number six. We're glad you're with us. Um, If you've been with us through the previous episodes, you've heard us talk about uh, the Sabbath and sin, um, relationships with God, our positions, our standing, some things of that nature, just the basic intros of kind of where we're at and what we believe as believers and where we want to go. I think it's very important in my mind to to really uh, set apart and establish where we are in relationship to the world. So kind of looking at where we are as Christians today or as believers today, we're going to look a little bit at at Egypt. We'll talk a little bit about Egypt. Egypt and the Hebrews when they were in Egypt, um, and how that relates to us and what it actually means for our future um, as believers. So uh, everything that uh, occurs within the scriptures that we know of um, all has a basis on God having a plan foreordained or before the the foundation of the world. God had an idea um, of what he was going to do. Um, question I would have, I think I, I saw someone ask this week, was did God send Jesus in response to Adam's sin? What would you say about that? I would say he probably already knew <clears throat> that he was going to have to send Jesus. Right. So it's not necessarily, well, I mean, I guess it was in response, but <laughs> he knew that the response was going to have to be. Right. So we know, uh, you know, we got, I saw some people saying that, you know, Adam sinned, so God had to figure out a way to redeem man. Um, But that was kind of contrary to kind of what God was already thinking. The scripture says before Jesus, uh, before the world was even laid, before Adam and Eve were even created, that God saw Jesus, his son, as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that he was already a sacrifice for sin. Um, So even before Adam and Eve were created, God had already made this, this, this is my sacrifice for sin. He'd already had his son in his mind. That's how he saw him. Um, and then when Adam and Eve, when God created the Garden of Eden and sin entered into everything, he had, he had already had that plan. I mean, it was, so he didn't really respond to Adam's sin. He responded to sin as a whole from the beginning. Um, he had already saw that this is my son. He is the answer to sin, right? And then Adam and Eve come along later and they sin. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's having a cure for the disease before anybody gets it. So you're not actually giving the cure as a result of somebody getting the disease. You're having the cure for the disease. And so that's kind of how I I think the scripture, if we look at it, that's how God saw it is that sin is here and I've already got the cure for sin. So Adam and Eve come into the world. We know this. We've talked about it. We talked about Genesis last time. We talked about uh, the Garden of Eden. Um, We talked about... um, Really, we talked about creation and really the Sabbath and what all the days meant. We didn't get into what was created on every day of the week and all those things. I think Genesis is very fundamental. Um, if you're a, a new believer in Christ or you're a new believer and you're in the family of God, you need to really go back and, and read through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, um, Numbers, and some of those uh, some of those chapters in or, or some of those books in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. Genesis is a big point, sticking point for a lot of people um, because the world we live in, uh, I think people, I, I heard someone say yesterday, I'm trying to think of what the, who it was. Um, they said, I am a spiritual person. I'm not religious. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. What does that mean, though? I, it mean, I don't know. That's a real good question because I... I, I get what you're trying to say. You're not... <clears throat> So what? The, you know, mm-hmm. the devil and the angels, those are spirits. 
So we're just because you're a spiritual person doesn't really define you as anything. It doesn't set you apart from anything. It doesn't say I have an actual belief in something. And I think that's what most people say when they mean by that. It's a vague statement. Well, they're not really trying to take a stand either. Spiritual is related to what? Well, spiritual as related to a non-spiritual person, because if you think that if you th- if you look at the standard that most people have set for themselves, um, the majority of people in the world do not believe. Well, I mean, I'm going to say honestly, they don't believe what the Scripture says. That is God's qualification to get into heaven. That's just something basic, like getting into heaven. Um, when you ask someone who is lost, or you ask someone in the world, "Are you going to go to heaven?" They're going to tell you generally what. What do you think they're going to say? I hope so. Yep, and they're going to say I hope so, and they're going to and you you could press them and you could say, well, why do you think that? And they're and or they what would do say, you think you have to do to get to heaven, right. as opposed to going to hell, right? Or they're going to say I'm not, I'm not bad. Oh, that's the answer. I'm not I'm a bad a good, person. I, I might not be good, but I'm not bad. I haven't killed anybody. Right. So spiritual saying that I'm a spiritual person is basically saying I acknowledge that there is something more out there, but I'm not responsible to it. Right. So I set my own standard. So this is why there's so many people who have so many different views of how to get to heaven or how to get to God or how to come. And they don't they leave Jesus out of it. Nobody wants to even talk about that because Jesus is a standard that is required. And if you admit that Jesus is here, then you got to go by that standard. So I'm not going to even. So I'll just say there is a God and I'm a spiritual person. So, you know, and then you get into the whole world. Do you think where are you going to go when you die? Oh, I'll probably go to heaven like my grandma did. And, you know, uh, somebody could live like hell on earth and die. And we always go to the funeral and say, well, oh, they're in a better place now. No, you know, no, maybe not. No, there's a lot of people who are not in a better place. It, it doesn't. And I think that's hard for people to to come to terms with or to even think about. Like, yeah, nobody wants to admit that. Hey, nobody. that guy's probably burning up right now. Well, I mean, but it is a true reality that is never, is, I won't say it's never dealt with. It is a true reality that is seldom dealt with that most people, nobody wants to think about. You know, I tell you all the time that I can, I sit and think probably too much about when I die and what's going to happen to me when I get old and when I pass away. And I think about death and I think about, um, I think about the other side of life and I think about uh, heaven and I think about Christ coming back and i mean this stuff weighs on my mind a lot and i think about it and it it affects me emotionally you know we've talked about that um but it's the kind of things that i wrap my i think about and the majority of people don't want to think about it they don't want to have anything to do with it i don't want to talk about death i'm not i'm not old yet i don't you know um and that's the and that's the foolishness at any time right that's the foolishness of of life is that we think we've got forever you know well i've got another 20 30 40 years i'll make up my mind and give my life to christ in that that amount of time the reality is nobody gives their life to christ unless he calls them and so you know if god if you're listening to this and god has called you or he's calling out to you you don't have options you need to you need to you either answer his call yeah you lay your life down now or you might not ever lay it down again until it's over with um, so it's not up to us as as to whether you know we we decide to come to him. I think that's a fallacy that we tend to um, preach to the world, and we tell the world that you know it's a, it's of our own choosing and our own choice. I think you know the scripture is clear that God chooses and calls whom He will. I mean, He just does. Um, and a lot of people say that's not fair, but I think I think God gives everybody a chance. That's always been my uh, feeling and take on it. So anyway, back to uh, Genesis, a little bit of that and creation and, and the things. Um, so. 
as it relates to uh, Exodus and, and going into Egypt, um, so Adam and Eve come along. You know, we know they start civilization. We know that uh, life basically starts with them. And this is the, the greater point of Genesis that I was trying to make is that um, for those who believe the scriptures but don't believe Genesis, they, there's a lot of people out there who call themselves Christians who do not accept the creation in seven days. There are a lot of people out there who I know some people who call themselves Christians or believers, and they believe in a, um, I would say, a Genesis evolution that God created, boom, the Big Bang, and then he allowed everything to evolve from As it, it would. Right. And he didn't so, have any hand in it. Right. So it helps them explain away the, it helps them take the Bible and scientific evolution and mush the two together. We, we learned about that, didn't we, with that Constantine did the same thing with religion. He took right. the sun worshipers and he took the uh, the Christians and he mushed them together to make something new. So we've got these people out there who want to do the same thing with the Word of God. They want to take Genesis and they want to say, hey, God, this is figurative. A lot of people will say Genesis is figurative, that it's not, well, it didn't really happen in seven days and God didn't really do it in seven days. And I will plainly tell you, if you cannot believe every single word in that book, then you got no right believing any of it. Because if one part of it does not hold true, how could we trust any of it? And Genesis is a huge foundational part. This is where original sin occurred. This is what happened. This is, this is if we believe that sin entered in through Adam, then why can't we believe that the God who gave his son for us created everything in seven days? He's God. I don't understand why people can believe that God would hang upon a cross and shed his blood and that his own blood would cover all of sins. It's a remission. He would pay for every sin that we commit and he's able to do that for every generation for billions of people through the whole planet but he's not able to speak life into existence he wasn't able to create it in seven days so you know it makes no sense to me and i've had people challenge me too you know well the flood seems ridiculous that god could flood the whole earth if god could make the earth god can flood the earth if god can flood the earth if you go to the book of revelation you'll find out that god can burn the earth which he eventually does. The Bible says he burns the entire earth and then he makes it over new. So the ideas that I think people have to get in their head is, is that the, if there is a God, he is outside of your control and he is outside of our labeling and understanding that we can't put our labels on him. He doesn't work in our time. He doesn't work in our understanding. He doesn't work in the way that we see life. He works in his own realm. He always has. He always will. That's what makes him God. He's not just some guy sitting in a chair you know, throwing lightning bolts and just kind of letting us get away with whatever we want to. And then eventually we make our own way to heaven. So Genesis is a big deal because of that. So then you go into Exodus and you come into Abraham and Lot and uh, going down into Egypt. Uh, one of the, you know, really the, the main thing that I think people need to understand is that generally everything that happened in Egypt from the time they went in to the time they left and some after they left is a direct reflection of the world and everything around us. I mean, it's it's just it it's a pervasive idea through the scriptures. The Jews themselves observe Passover every year from the time they left Egypt. We're talking five thousand years ago. I mean, almost five thousand years ago, they left Egypt and and they keep doing this Passover because of Egypt and what happened there because it was that impactful upon who they were. So then we see Jesus come along and we see him in uh, you know what we call the New Testament. He comes along and he's observing the Passover with the disciples. Before he's he's crucified, he goes and has a, an upper room prepared. 
they're preparing and they're doing sacri- they're doing Passover and he's doing it with his disciples and he's using the elements of Passover to represent himself. We talked about that uh, maybe in the last episode, I think so. A little bit. I don't think you really went yeah. into the whole details. And we'll hopefully in one of the next episodes we'll get into Passover and really go over that a little bit and discuss some of that. But in the book of Hebrews, uh, the real main point is is that you see Christ as our Passover lamb. He is the Passover sacrifice. Well, that is an idea. So we're talking three, maybe 3,000 years after they left Egypt that the disciples and Paul and Christ, and they're all acknowledging Passover. This happened 3,000 years ago, but it still had a huge impact upon their culture and their life. So when it comes to us, we have over the generations over the last 2,000 years, we've weeded Passover out because we don't really, as the church in the body of Christ, we don't see Passover as being a ceremony uh, that we are responsible to do. We take communion. It's a Jewish thing. Right. Right now we take communion and we do uh, we do that. We do communion. We don't even, you know, we celebrate Easter and we do communion. So um, really I want to take us back a little bit to Egypt and I want to look at some of the uh, the typologies that are there and some of the things that we see. Um, so if you go back to Egypt, and we're just going to go back to Pharaoh and Moses, and we'll just kind of pick up. Everybody knows the story. Hopefully you know the story. Um, it's been made in movies, and Charlton Heston, and all these people have done this, you know, this reenactment of being in Egypt. And it was it's such a huge time for the Hebrews because they're enslaved to their Egyptian uh captors basically and they're they're used as slaves and they're held captive um so pharaoh is is, uh is over them and we have uh moses who comes out you know and he is um he is brought back in as a type of messiah to uh set the uh, hebrews free and that's kind of the general basics basics of of egypt and um, what was going on. So we know that, that Pharaoh is a representation of Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh's a representation of the devil, not Christ. That was a, a flub. But uh, we know that Moses is a representation of Christ, and the people that were there, the Hebrews, are a representation of the world. That goes even a little bit further because all the Hebrews, um, when they left Egypt, uh, it's estimated there were three to four million people who left, and it was not just Hebrew people that actually left. There were people from all kinds of nations blended in with them when they left. So when we look at this story, we see that Pharaoh is is really the uh, Satan, is the evil one. Moses is the Messiah, and the Hebrews represented the world. That was the the, the people in the world. Um, so in our own belief as as Christians and modern day born again folk. Um, we don't. We have to see the world as the same way. The world that we live in is Egypt. I mean, the Bible goes on to talk about in a in a in a way that it's it's you know it it alludes that the world is Egypt that that, that we're still s- slaves and captors to it. Um, but the thing that that we're captors and we're slaves to is sin. So we're held to that, and that's what holds us in Egypt, and that's what keeps us um, chained here. Um, if you look at the majority of us, we're working day and day and night. We're we're working six seven days a week at a job. We're in debt up to our ears. We're um, we're a lot of people are just trying to exist and survive. That's all they're trying to do. Um, and that's what they were doing in Egypt. That's what the Hebrews were doing in Egypt. They were caught in Egypt, and they were crying out for someone to come and save them. That's what they were looking for. They wanted a Messiah figure to come and rescue them from Egypt. Um, so being that we're, we're caught and we're trapped in this world, I think the majority of people um, are languishing and suffering. Um, I think if you're not if you're not a financially set individual, I, a lot of what goes on in life really relates to um, your personal finances. 
where you're at money wise um the, typically the uh especially in the united states the more uh, wealthy people not saying that they don't have uh problems and issues and things like that but they, they don't have some of the woes that uh the poor people do middle class and poor folks have to worry about how am i going to pay my bills how am i going to pay my medical bills how am i going to you know all there's there's a lot of things that that this uh money can really do to us in this in this world so you look at Egypt, and you look at the Hebrews are trapped there, and they're crying out for a Messiah to come. So God decides, I'm going to send somebody. I've got this guy Moses. I'm going to send him back there, and he's going to redeem the people, and he's going to bring them out of Egypt. He's going to take them out of Egypt. Um, so when we look at the world as it is today, we, we have the same type of thing. We have Christ who is coming, and he has come, and he has redeemed us. He has paid a price. He has paid the fee. He has paid whatever God's requirement was, which is a blood sacrifice. He paid that so we could be set free from Egypt. We are not bound to this world any longer. We are not slaves to this world. They do not own us. They do not uh, control our destiny. They do not control our outcome. They don't control any of that stuff. We are free from this world. Um, the major question that I always continue to ask is if we are free from this world, why do we go back to Egypt? As, as believers and Christians, as whatever you want to call yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a, uh, born again, paid for in Yeshua, why in the world would you want to go back to Egypt? You got anything on that? <laughs> you're sitting there with a look on your face like, I don't know. And, and my point is, why do people want to get caught up in the the money and the gossip and the lifestyle and the desires? And everybody's got desires. Don't get me wrong. Well, well I think people get in this game where they compare themselves too much to what's around them. Right. They're not really comparing them to God or what God would have for them. It's more, well, my friend just got a new car. Yeah. And... I should want a new car or I should be able to get a new right. car. And why can't I? And why isn't God providing that for me? And yeah, you know, endlessly. No, and I, yeah, I agree with that completely. I think me and you talked about that earlier this week where I said that Paul had said it was good for a man if he uh, would not be married, if he didn't have kids. You know, if he's going to serve the Lord, it's better for him to go into ministry um, uh, basically unbound or un, I, I don't I, say unshackled. I why the Catholic Church wanted priests to be right. because the, unmarried and, and celibate. Because they believe that scripture from Paul was a definite command that to be a priest or to be uh the leader of these churches that they should not have uh, relations. They shouldn't have a wife. They shouldn't, you know, they're not to be burdened by the world because they are doing the work of the church. It's, it's the responsibility. Right. They're working for the higher uh, authority. They're working for the higher, uh, you know, they're working for the office of God, basically. Um, but we know that was not really what Paul was trying to say. Paul was saying, hey, it's better if you do one versus the other. But then again, he said, but if you burn for someone, it's better that you get married. You know, I mean, he was saying, I understand. It's going to be difficult. And I think a, a lot of pastors, and a lot of preachers in the world today, if we look at them, they, they struggle with that. Um, they struggle with the, they don't have, most pastors that I know don't own a home. They rent houses. Um, they move every couple years because the church that they're in has who knows what pop up, you know, um, or they have a better offer from a different church or God is leading them to a smaller church or a bigger church. So um, they're really sojourners in, in the in the land. They're just, they're kind of moving around Which a lot. Which is kind of how you grew up. Yeah. And and it's, and we, and that was great for us when we were growing up. We got to see that a lot um, because it really puts in my, in my mind, a constant memory of uh, being indebted to this world and being enslaved to this world versus being free to do what God wants you to do. And it's tough. I mean, we've got we've got multiple children, and it is tough to think, hey, what if God wanted us to get up tomorrow and move to 
Washington State in the middle of the, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, it would be tough for us because we would say, well, we've got a house and we've got all these responsibilities and I've got family. And um, and I think, you know, this is, uh, we're kind of all over the place here, but this is, this is really what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples when he said, I've come to bring a sword and I'm going to divide the mothers and the fathers and I'm going to divide the children from the parents. And he's saying the word of God and what I have to tell you is so dynamic and it is so so powerful that it is going to divide even some families we're not going to be able to deal with it because they're going to say hey mom i'm going to go off to africa i'm going to go off to asia and i'm going to preach the gospel about this messiah who's come and the mother's going to have a fit and lose her mind because that's the craziest thing i've ever heard and just like my mom i just wanted to go to africa for a missions trip and she but that's almost it. had to come apart because she loves you because <laughs> I, she loves you it, that's I what that it. is but at the same time the gospel is so important and imperative in our lives that it is a it has to be a burden for us and it's a good burden it's not a bad burden but it has to be a good burden for us to say i've got to put all these things down and i've got to do what god wants me to do and and, and it's tough it's really really hard to do um and i can't you know i can't claim that I, i've I've been able to do that 100% of my life because I haven't. Um, but I think that's what Paul was trying to talk about. So we look at Egypt, right? When we got the Hebrews trapped down in Egypt, Moses comes along. We all know the story. He gives the commands. You set my people, you know, let my people go. And actually, um, you know, he had Aaron helping him out with that. Uh, Moses wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. So um, God took this this man who had some troubles with speech and he had somebody helping him but the power of god was manifest to the point to where pharaoh was like you know get your people and get out of here i don't want nothing to do with you the plagues um, right get he just it was horrible it was miserable um but but he got to the point to where it, it broke pharaoh and pharaoh said get your people and get out of here leave me alone and, and and don't come back so um so moses takes them out of egypt and the first thing moses does is he heads down to the he's headed to the mountain of god right but the red sea is in their way so uh they go to the red sea we know that moses uh you know he the red god parts the red sea we see charleston heston standing there with his arms up yelling at the wind or whatever um so the red sea parts all the people pass through and then the red sea closes um they come down to the mountain of god and we know that uh, moses goes up onto the mountain to receive the word of god um, and god's commands um if we look at that whole story of what happened in egypt uh, just briefly and we think about uh how we are you know we're in the world this is egypt we were the hebrews we are trapped here we are the so we are just stuck in this land we're enslaved by sin um, we know that Satan is the father of lies. He is the father of deception. Um, he is the father of all the wickedness that is in this world. Uh, the scripture says there are only two families. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. That is, and that's in the scripture. Those, those phrases are in the scripture. You can find that. So uh, the scripture really divides the, the, the word and the world in half. It, it says at one point in the judgment of God, there's going to be the judgment of the sheep and there's going to be the judgment of the goats. There's two different sides to this. So you have the righteous and the wicked. The sheep and the goats you have the children of god and the children of the devil so uh you know and the real thing is is even the people who are spiritual and don't think they need jesus for any of that they're falling on one of those two categories there's no middle ground there is no uh you know there's no middle line there's no middle fence to ride there you're either on one side or you're on the other in the eyes of god so that's how he sees it you're either my children or your children of the devil the wicked one the lawless one he you know that is how god views it um, so we come we come to the mountain 
of God. Children of Israel, children of Israel. The Hebrews are here at the mountain of God. And it's not only just the, the Hebrew people, but like I said, it was a multitude of other people of all nations of the world that had come out of Egypt with them. They wanted to be free too. So when this happened, all these slaves are going out with, with the Hebrews. They come to the mountain of God. Um, so we, we go back. We see Moses coming into Egypt to save them. This is what Christ has done for us. He takes them to the mountain of God where they're going to receive the word of God. Um, but first, they have to stop at the Red Sea. So the Red Sea is baptism. They, they were saved in Egypt. They're brought out. They're baptized. They're, they go through the Red Sea. It's, it's the immersion of water, right? So this is just pictures. They go through, and it's a it's a picture of baptism. So they come to the mountain of God. This is where we're going to receive the word of God. Um, in the Hebrew, uh, we would receive as because we've been born again, and we're born again believers, we receive what is called the Ruach HaKodesh. The Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, and I'm probably not saying it as clear because I don't want to pop this microphone all up. Um, but it is the Holy Spirit of God. So they go through the they go through the Red Sea, they get baptized, and then they go to the mountain of God, and they receive the Holy Spirit of God, basically in the word form. Um, later on, when Yeshua comes, uh, we know that God tells the disciples he's going to send his spirit to sit upon them, to dwell in them. So the Bible says that they come, the Holy Spirit comes as cloving tongues of fire, um, and they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who believes in Yeshua, according to the scripture, is sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Um, and that is a permanent seal that is put on them by God the Father. We can't change that. We're never going to be able to undo that. Um, I have a lot of friends who believe in uh, losing their salvation. They don't believe you. You know, they don't believe you can keep it. That is not a permanent thing. Uh, they believe you can lose your salvation. You can lose your born againness because you have to think of this as a, a family relationship that we are born into the family of God um, by His Spirit, by His Spirit, not our Spirit, by His Spirit. Um, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is that new life that is born in us. Um, just like my children are mine, they could go out and do all kinds of horrible, horrible things and just be really bad people when they grow up. They will always have my blood in their veins and they will always be my children. My seal is upon them. My seal is blood. Scripture says life is in the blood. That's where life resides. And, and the, the life we have in Christ is in the blood of Christ. The seal that we have in us is from the Holy Spirit of God. We can't undo that. So, um, you know, I think when when you look at the picture of Egypt, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. Um, there's a lot more uh, deeper things that go on in Egypt. There's a lot of things that happened at uh, actual Passover in Egypt when the death angel passed over. Um, there's, there's the blood on the doorpost. There's a lot of things there that um, are types and pictures of things to come that, that tell us more about who Christ is going to be. And then when he comes, we can look back and we can see that. And I think that's why the, the Jews... Um, right now current jews still celebrate passover is because they realize that it was liberty from egypt um, and this is why we celebrate our life in christ because it's liberty and freedom from sin um, so looking back just always remember that the old testament scriptures that everybody says is old and done away with those things are just as important as the new testament because it's going to teach you um, it's going to teach you more the character of god and what god wants you to know as the new teaches us the character of uh, yeshua and the messiah and what we need to know in him so uh, going back to egypt you know we go from genesis where we have this awesome creation that god did god spoke and it was um to where we are now in uh, you know in Egypt and we're we're coming out of Egypt and then we're going from there and going forward. So next time we're uh, in some of the other podcasts we're going to look at some of the prophetic scriptures in the, uh, the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah who comes. Um, <coughs> 
one of the interesting things that I saw this week and read actually was this Stephen Hawking. You know, who Stephen Hawking is mm-hmm. right, the computer voice guy. Yes. You know, the computer voice guy. Um, Stephen Hawking said, and he believed. Well, he was asked the question: What was before the Big Bang? What happened before the Big Bang? What what existed? What was going on? Right. What what existed before the Big Bang? And Stephen Hawking's response was nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing before the Big Bang. Nothing. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. It's a, it, as a Christian, I love that. I don't that. think he understood what he... He's uh, like one of the smartest people in the world. I think he understood what he was trying to I say. I know, but I don't think he... Maybe his keyboard we'll was see how it would. <laughs> I'm just saying. It, as a Christian, I love that answer. I absolutely love the uncertainty of that answer. You can't even... You know, I had somebody argue with me that it was gas. There was gases before the the Big Bang occurred. Then some atoms ran into each other. And, you know, even that is a wonderful, wonderful answer for me. Because you can't explain to me where the gases came from. And you can't explain to me where the atoms came from. You cannot tell me anything definitive about what created all of life. Nothing. You can't tell me a single thing. And so, you know, I think Stephen Hawkins, being one of the smartest people alive, for him to say that absolutely nothing existed before the Big Bang is one of the most brilliant things I've, I've ever heard. Because I'm never, and you will never, ever see anything come out of nothing. Absolute nothing. There was an explosion, and all of life occurred, and all of life happened. And it is absolutely ridiculous to believe that that could occur apart from God himself speaking it into existence. Honestly, when God spoke it into existence, if you tell me that God was before the Big Bang and God spoke everything into existence and out of nothing it came, I would absolutely believe that because it's, it matches up with Scripture. God spoke, and it was. He, said, he spoke the words for light, and it was light, and God spoke, and it was. He didn't go through these long evolutionary processes. He spoke it. That's, that's the power of God. Um, his voice is so powerful, even at, at Mount Sinai where they were receiving the word of God. The scripture says that at one point they were asking Moses, why can't God speak to us? And Moses is like, you know, okay, you want God to speak to you? Okay. And so the scripture says that God spoke to them, and it was like a mighty rushing wind that came off the mountain. And it terrified them so bad that a lot of them wanted to die. I mean, that's how they felt. They felt like, we've heard the voice of God. We're going to die. This is horrible. This is the worst thing we could have ever done. So then they go to Moses, and they tell him, don't just, hey, God can speak to you. We don't need to hear him. Because he's, you just tell us what he said. There's so much power in his voice, and this is just talking to people. God's voice is so powerful just in talking to them that it scared them. You know, we know the scripture says that when Moses came off the mountain, that he the radiance uh, of being in the presence of God was upon him. I mean, is this unfathomable power that God has to? create a universe and to create this perfect law and to create this perfect order and to create a perfect uh a son he i I won't say he created the son but to create have the idea of what he wanted to do with the son and have the idea of how he was going to redeem mankind and then we look and we're like you know we got these smartest people on the planet who are like there's nothing before the big bang that just blows me away absolutely blows me away because you, this is a matter of faith. Faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. Um, atheists, um, agnostics, uh, anyone, anyone and everyone on this planet has faith, and they are putting it into something. The atheist is putting his faith and his hope in the fact that he believes there is no God and there is no consequences. And you know what? He, his faith better sustain him because at the end, if his faith is wrong, he's in trouble, right? 
but it takes faith to believe that. If you believe that you're a product of evolution, then you have to have faith to believe that all of life comes from the same point or the same thing. So I just thought it was really interesting. It kind of related back to Genesis as to how somebody would say there was nothing before the Big Bang. That's brilliant. So anyway, um, so Jen, a quick look. That was just kind of a quick look at um, Exodus and Egypt and the Hebrews and kind of how that translates into our world and uh, into what it means to us as believers. Um, so that's pretty much it. going to wrap this episode up. Uh, check us out on Facebook. We are on Twitter, correct? We're on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so look on Twitter and join in, comment, share, and like these videos. Um, kind of help us spread the word a little bit with your friends. Uh, the podcasts are awesome because they don't cost you anything. And, you know, you can uh, you can just have a good time listening. If you have any ideas of things you want to hear about or you have some questions, uh, leave us a question on our Facebook page, and we'll be glad to uh, talk about it and mention it in the podcast and see if we can cover some subjects and go over some answers. So for me, uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye.